My name is Abby, and I'm the voice behind the Evolving Love Project. In this podcast, my husband and I deep dive into the topics of non-monogamy and polyamory, drawing from our experiences from the last eight years of being consensually non-monogamous. My name is Liam. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, curious, or anything in between, we invite you to join the conversation. Let's begin. In today's episode, we are joined by compersion researcher, Dr. Marie Tuan. We discuss the three main pillars of compersion, how to cultivate compersion, jealousy and envy, metamor relationships and how they affect compersion, and Marie's ongoing quest to add the word compersion to the dictionary and more. Dr. Marie Tuan is the founder of Love Insight, a mindful dating and relationship coaching practice where she helps people of all ages, genders, and sexual relationship orientations. Marie completed her doctoral dissertation on compersion, entitled Compersion in Consensually Non-Monogamous Couples, a Grounded Theory Investigation. She also serves as editor at the International Journal of Transpersonal Studies, a leading peer-reviewed publication in the fields of transpersonal and whole person psychologies. Let's begin. Welcome, Dr. Marie Tuan. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. We've been really looking forward to this and meeting you and having this conversation. Um, I've just told everybody a little bit about your work, but in your own words, would you like to share with everybody about your work in compersion and what led you to, to delve into this world? Yay! Thank you so much for having me. And I just love your work also. I've been really appreciating seeing your posts on Instagram. So it's good to be here. Um, A little bit about me. I've been studying compersion for probably about seven years. I started my PhD in 2014 and then evolved to really want to focus my study on compersion. Um, I just felt that there was such an elephant in the room in our society around sexuality, around monogamy, around mononormativity, which is kind of the assumption that monogamy should be the only um, real good way to go about relationships. And that compersion was one of the concepts that could help um, really change the way we look at love. And I decided to go for it. We are so grateful that you went for that. I think what would be really fantastic for all the listeners is actually just to define what compersion is. If you could share um, your kind of definition of that, that'll be wonderful. Yeah. So I define compersion as the feelings, the thoughts, the emotions, any kind of positive experience that you would feel in response to somebody else's gratifying experience. So really put simply, it's empathic joy, participating in the joy of another person, even if you're not directly involved or benefiting from that joy. And of course, in the context of non-monogamy, we've been using this word as joy that we feel towards our partners who are having a positive experience with somebody else. Very, very important to get the word out there in these conversations because a lot of people don't understand what compersion actually is. So when they think of non-monogamy, the first thing that, you know, does come to mind is jealousy or it's just about, you know, going and being with other people. And I feel like without, you know, without this 
piece of this understanding of this emotion and this feeling of compersion, it just doesn't quite make sense. But when you add compersion into the conversation, it's it's the missing jigsaw puzzle in this conversation and it's, it's really important. So, gosh, thank you so much for writing about it and researching it and, and putting it on the map. Mm, thank you. Yeah, and I think it is, like you said, kind of a, an X factor. And if you don't really admit or document or know about the possibility of compersion, then consensual non-monogamy doesn't make as much sense. You know, if we stick with the assumption that jealousy is the only possible or valid response to, you know, having multiple partners, then why would anyone really do it or put themselves and others through it if all there can be is pain and jealousy and that's kind of a, you know, a very dooming um, reality, right? It's been really interesting because something that's come up a lot for, for you and your writing, Abby, is that you'll write about compersion and people will go, oh, I've actually, I've felt this, but I've never had a word to kind of put on, put onto the feeling. Um, and uh, there was an amazing moment in your PhD where you talk a little bit, I'd love for you to share the story. You talk a little bit about how you wrote into the, to the Merriam-Webster dictionary to try and uh, get compersion added. Can you, can you share a little bit about, uh, about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the reasons, too, why I studied compersion was that language really shapes the way we think and the way we feel. You know, it kind of paints the emotional landscapes that we think are available to us. So when I encountered the word compersion, I had this light bulb moment of like, oh, my gosh, yes, this is a missing word in my vocabulary of human experience. And just knowing the word can allow us to experience more of it. So I looked in the dictionary and didn't find compersion. So I was like, wow, we, we need to include that. We need to make that more of an, you know, like legitimate word in our vocabulary. So I did email the editors of the Merriam-Webster. Like anyone can go on their website and, and write a letter to the editors and um, ask them to include compersion and also mononormativity which I just spoke about, which I think is a very powerful concept to illuminate and to have in our in our psyche. Um, and they said, well, you know, it's not widely used enough yet, but, you know, maybe in a few years. So I emailed them twice over the last few years, and I've gotten the same response those two times, but maybe soon. And, oh, well, actually, a nice scoop that you'll be happy to hear. There is a... Um, the Springer Encyclopedia of Sexual Behavior, I believe, invited me to write an entry on compersion. So that's going to be happening in the next few months. So that's one step forward. <laughs> Incredible. Congratulations. You're, wow. you're, you're doing all the hard work. We love it. Yeah, it's happening step by step. Oh, amazing. And it's certainly something, uh, you know, f for us within our relationship, um, we've always, I I've certainly always had these like really compulsive feelings and, and I've almost kind of had to, to look back on some of these feelings just to put the label on and be like, oh, well, in that moment, I was actually feeling a lot of compersion um, and I was actually, you know, uh, able to kind of analyze it through the lens of now that I had this kind of label or this linguistic framework to actually put onto it, I was able to, to, to really kind of uh, view it in a... In in a different way. 
But one of the things that you you talk about within your PhD is you talk about the the, the three main components of compersion, and you've mentioned one already, the the empathetic joy. But do you mind sharing a little bit about those those three main components? So the first one is empathic joy, like really at the core. Um, you know what my research participants describe compersion as being is an experience of empathy. It's saying like, well, I feel what you feel, or uh, more, you know, there's two kinds of empathy. There's the embodied empathy, which is I feel what you feel. And there's the cognitive empathy, which is I can imagine what you feel. And that makes me happy if I imagine that being a happy instance. Um, and people would describe compersion as being both, you know, cognitive or embodied. And that is a really cool thing to know because First of all, you know, a lot of people who don't experience the embodied kind sometimes feel like they're not experiencing enough compersion, but really the just attitudinal, the cognitive kind of a compersion of, of empathic experience is really important too. So, so empathic joy is the first one. And then there's gratitude. Gratitude for what? Gratitude for the benefits that you perceive your partner's other relationship is bringing to your life, to their life, and to the relationship. So people mention things like, oh, I'm so grateful that my partner's other relationship is allowing me to have a more open, more ecstatic, more varied and free sexual life, social life, emotional life. Um, maybe I'm relieved that their other relationship is taking some pressure off me from having to fulfill all of my partner's need. Maybe they really want to go camping and I don't like to go camping, but my metamor likes to go camping. So I'm so happy <laughs> that they're in a relationship and I don't have to feel guilty that I'm not going camping with my partner. Um, Maybe I'm grateful for the kind of emotional authenticity that this relationship style is allowing me to have. I don't have to hide who I really am and we don't have to hide what we desire. Stuff like that. It's it's really interesting. I Over the years, I've sort of noticed my compersion growing and shifting and ebbing and flowing. It's not this one stagnant sort of emotion that I always feel in the exact same way all of the time. You know, within our marriage, it sort of started off, you know, very instinct-led. As Liam said, we didn't quite know what we were feeling, but in retrospect, we look back and really recognize that it was compersion. But, you know, Mm -hmm. we're sort of coming from a place where we've moved from more of a more sexual freedoms and now we're sort of moving more into a space more into a polyamorous space and you know the the compersion is shifting and changing but it's interesting because different sort of jealousies are now coming up as well with um you know new aspects in that world that we didn't really have to sort of navigate through before and it's it's really an amazing different um shift and sort of noticing where my compersion is and where it's still uh, yet to be cultivated yeah and i love the i love the phrase embodied compersion because that's certainly something mm-hmm. that i really feel quite strongly i've always felt like a 
very kind of physical reaction um, to compersion. And when Abby's out on a date or, um, you know, having experience with another partner, I've always felt this kind of real sense of, of that empathetic joy that, that, oh, this is such a, a beautiful experience. Um, and intellectually, I also get it as well. You know, I'm happy that, that she's, of course, happy um, in that moment. But it, but it really is this kind of, uh, kind of physical relationship to compersion that I feel. Mm, that's awesome. It is great. <laughs> it works out well. <laughs> it does. My compersion's a little bit uh, different. You know, I really like to, I feel a lot of compersion when I'm very included or if I'm there or I'm, I'm, part, of, I'm part of the experience. So that's something that I'm still, um, you know, working, I wouldn't, yeah, work, working through or trying to understand how to con- cultivate my compersion so that I don't need to be fully involved with everything. I want to sort of, you know, I want to be able to get to the place where I'm really at a full peace with myself when there is more of a, you know, a bit more separateness happening, you know, and that's why, you know, it is interesting about this conversation of, yeah, is it something, Do is compersion necessary all of the time? Um, you know, do we need to have that full embodied feeling or can it be more intellectual? Because intellectually, I feel like this is wonderful. You know, you're going out on a date and, you know, spending time with your other partner. Um, but I still have those little moments or those little triggers and which I'm thinking, you know, is this just ingrained conditioning that's telling me that I should be feeling triggered right now? Or, you know, am I genuinely very uncomfortable at, at certain moments, but while also feeling compersion at the same time, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And Marie, I'd love to, to know your thoughts on this um, in regards to that, that sense of is compersion something that we can cultivate? In your research, was it something that the people spoke about kind of growing into a sense of compersion? Um, did they feel that it was that it was like a, a finite resource or, or is it able to be expanded upon? I definitely think it can be cultivated. And it's not necessarily so much about cultivating compersion directly, but about cultivating the terrain for it. To me, um, if you put the chances on your side, so to speak, to experience more compersion, then that goes you know, in the areas of cultivating your relationship within yourself and your sense of security and your relationship with your partner and with your metamor and your sense of connection and trust and communication with them and even with the community. So those kinds of things that you can do to um, cultivate compersion are in a way like cultivating the grounds for it. So I've definitely talked to a lot of couples who didn't originally have a lot of grounds for compersion, like maybe they came to non-monogamy from an affair or from only one person really wanting non-monogamy and the other one didn't. And initially they didn't have what you would call a perfect context (laughs) for it, but they really decided to dedicate themselves to this path and they addressed some of the things that maybe in the relationship needed to be addressed to clear the field, so to speak, for empathy and love to flourish and even intra-personally within themselves, they clear some stuff that they needed also for that kind of empathy and generosity and, and, and compersion to really take place. And it's completely possible. Oftentimes, I think with those kind of emotions, you know, like you don't have to elicit it directly, but you have to clear the path for it because there's a lot that can stand in the way of it. 
That makes total sense. Uh, you know, I feel like when you're when you're delving into these emotions like compersion and you're you're having these new experiences that are so off the beaten path, you know, so much can come up. There can be so many different um, things within yourself that you learn and you realize and or you realize there's something that you didn't quite you know, know that you wanted or, you know, an, an envy might come up or something. And, you know, we're, we're really at the point where when those things come up, we're trying to really sit with them and figure out what that's teaching us. It kind of raises the question um, of whether you've seen the complete absence of compersion within a non-monogamous relationship and whether that's possible to, to move completely away from that kind of fully embodied experience and then just really only experience it intellectually on an intellectual level like do, do you find that that is a possible scenario in which a kind of a non-monogamous relationship could healthily exist yeah the short answer is yes um and that actually brings me back to the third component of compersion from from my research and that is um, the fact that compersion is fluid dynamic and on a spectrum so it's more of like a dimensions of compersion, so to speak, rather than really like a component that makes up compersion. But um, what I discovered is that compersion can exist on a continuum from, you know, like if you imagine on one pole, there's jealousy and on the other pole, there's this embodied high intoxicating joy from a full body experience of compersion. In the middle, you're going to find something like neutral benevolence you're going to find more of like a, okay, well, I don't necessarily feel super happy and jazzed that you're dating somebody else, but I'm not so triggered that I'm going to sabotage you and try to limit you and try to control your behavior. I'm just kind of neutral and in a state of acceptance about this. And then between that state of neutral benevolence if we want to coin it like that, and embodied compersion, there is a whole continuum of maybe I'm like, oh, like cognitively compersive. Like, oh, okay, I think that what you're experiencing with this other person is great. Like, it doesn't give me like a fluttering heart or, you know, it doesn't make me feel like this intoxication feeling, but I interpret this as a positive event and I'm, I'm happy for you. And along this spectrum, I think it's all good and all really um, feasible to have a healthy and beautiful non-monogamous relationship within that side of the spectrum where your jealousy is not in control, basically. And is, is this something that you feel um, happens in kind of retrospect? Like, is, is there a way to, to experience these intense emotions and have this kind of jealousy kind of fighting with compersion in the moment? So say if Abby's out on a date and I start to feel uncomfortable about certain things, but then I can frame it kind of almost in retrospect in a way that I, I, I can negate some of those triggers that were starting to come up, the kind of jealousies or, or the envies that were starting to come up. Do you think that that's, that's something as well yeah yeah definitely i think they can and definitely will cohabitate it's a little bit like sadness and joy you know can definitely live within the same emotional container and that's what makes for the complexity of life and emotional flavors that we can experience and i think Oftentimes people who are non-monogamous have a little bit of suspicion towards the whole concept of 
elevating compersion as this holy grail because they feel that the danger um, in that is to shame jealousy, which is a very natural emotion. It's a very um, natural occurrence. We can't just, you know, snap our fingers and say, I'm not going to be jealous anymore because I believe in non-monogamy. Um, jealousy is going to continue to come up. But if we have a compersive attitude and we decide to interact with our jealousy in a way that's healthy and not, you know, entitle, entitling us to control somebody else's behavior, then jealousy is a perfectly okay thing to feel. We just have to let the emotion be there and, you know, we can try to validate it, understand it, see what roots it has in us and do kind of our own work to really like own it. And that doesn't, you know, preclude compersion from existing at the same time. I really connect with that. Um, you know, having the jealousy come up because I, I feel like, you know, there can be this idea that, you know, we're non-monogamous, we're not feeling any, you know, we're moving towards this, you know, paradise of not feeling any jealousy and we're all just in compersion all of the time. And, you know, that's like the end goal. And I really, you know, I, I really don't connect with that in that way. It's just a, for, it's just always this growing, changing experience and the jealousy might not go, you know, it's going to come up, but it's sort of navigating those ways of, yeah, as you said, learning how to, how to sort of manage that and, and look into what it's, what it's teaching us. And yeah, that's, that's a, that's a really interesting one and something that we've been, you know, talking a lot about and reading and then looking into our own attachment styles as well. And, you know, we sort of feel like our difference in compersion also comes down to our, you know, our different sense of security within ourself, you know, even if there is, you know, I do feel so secure in our relationship, but different things come up because, um, you know, it's things just do. And something that we've we've talked about um, quite a lot, Abby and I, you know, you had a, a particular partner recently and I, I started to, to feel these kind of jealous emotions and, and I did a bit of reading and I, I read, uh, I was reading the Jealousy Workbook, which we which we love. Um, and what I started to realize uh, was that I, what the feelings that I was feeling were not necessarily those of jealousy, but probably more of envy. Going back to what you were saying about empathic joy, I was really actually just excited for Abby to be having these great experiences. But what I was really feeling, I wasn't uh, kind of wanting to negate those for her. I was just kind of, oh, that looks pretty fun. I wouldn't mind having, you know, my own date. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to be going out on a date myself. So is this something that you found uh, within your research, kind of the people able to distinguish between that, the difference between envy and jealousy? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to to do is to to look at what we would put in this kind of larger bucket of like, well, this is just jealousy and look at what's really in it. You know, yeah. Is it envy? Is it grief? Is it sadness? Is it anger? Is it like an old pain? And yeah, like to realize sometimes when it's not that we feel a threat to the relationship, which technically jealousy designates a an idea or a feeling that the relationship itself is threatened by a third and to distinguish that um, from envy where it's more of like a just you and me thing. I'm just envious of something that you have or something that you are and I want that as well can help us deal internally with what what is this feeling pointing to and what is it helping us 
accomplish. And envy can be really illuminating because it can illuminate like, oh, wow, I just, I actually want more fill in the blank. You know, I want more dates. I want more fun. I want more sex. I want to feel better about myself. I want to feel more confident. Um, so when, you know, when we're envious of, of someone, it's really helpful to identify what it is and to find ways to to get that if we can as much as we can um i feel like what can really help me cultivate my compersion and you know my inner sense of security within our relationship is actually when we're when we are spending time you know together and with um liam's other partner as well i really uh, you know, I really enjoy her company. We get along so well. We have our own connection as well. And and it's really lovely. And that, you know, I think fostering that metamor connection can be can be something that can really help to cultivate compersion as well, I feel in my experience. Do you have you found you found that as well in your research? Absolutely. Because really compersion can take the form of a positive relational feedback loop. Um, and that was in the word of one of my research participants who had some of the stories, you know, the type of stories that you're talking about. When there is the sense of, you know, three-way love or even more, you know, within a polycule, just to have a sense that everyone is on board and everyone is teaming up to love one another and to create good relationship with one another, there is a lot less threat and a lot more room for love to grow. And, you know, you're having a great relationship with your metamor is definitely, um, you know, like it serves those two things. It's like, okay, now you're like teaming up to love Liam. There's a sense of being on the same team and there isn't a sense of like, oh, this person is out to steal my person or stab me in the back. Not at all. And it's it's really interesting because it goes against everything that, you know, our society would think about in this way. You know, it's like having this other partner, you know, we should be in competition. We should be, you know, she's going to come in and be trying to take, you know, pull my family apart or something. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. You know, she's she's so lovely. She's so, um, you know, fun and a joy and you know, caring and really has a deep uh, respect and, and um, you know, I, I would probably say an admiration for our love as well. And mm. it, it's really interesting quite early on in the piece. Um, she actually, this is, I found this really interesting. She actually said to us one time that she feels compersive when she sees the two of us together, which I found mm. really interesting because, mm-hmm. you know, when I sort of think about compersion, I think of, um you know, people that have been together for a really, you know, for maybe longer amount of time or, and, you know, that sort of took us back. We sort of thought, oh, I, we didn't think about that from that perspective that she could actually feel compersion for our relationship. Right, right. That's so wonderful. Yeah. I mean, again, it's like this feedback loop. You feeling compersion for her probably helps her feel compersion for you and vice versa. 
So hypothetically, if if there wasn't that, if there was that kind of mismatched sense of compersion within a relationship, what are some of the tools that you noticed were were really helpful in that? Like if someone came in um, fully compersive and their other partner just really struggled to kind of enter into that space, were there certain things that you found the people that you spoke to um, kind of utilized as a way to kind of open up the gates to to, to really make that situation work? So one of the first things um, that's important to do is to go at the pace of the slower person in terms of relationship agreements, because if one person is not fully on board and fully comfortable, it will be very difficult to escalate the levels of non-monogamy without you know, feeling like there's going to be a rupture or someone feeling excluded. Um, like you were um, saying earlier, Abby, you know, like feeling included is such a core element of compersion. And once someone feels like they're on the outside and things are happening without their full buy-in and agreement, it might cause issues. So the question becomes then like, how do you bring this person on board? And I have developed this framework from my research of like six different factors that help promote compersion Um, and I would, you know, take that person and and look at how they feel about each one of them and identify where they feel they have strength and where they feel weaker and where they feel maybe threatened or like there's more room for improvement and then zone in on those. So do you want me to tell you the the six factors? Oh, we would love. You dangled dangled the carrot and I was so excited. I was on the edge of my seat. (laughs) So, so number one is um, an ideological commitment to um, non-monogamy, the ideology, the values, the mindsets of non-monogamy. So oftentimes when people don't feel on board um, and they're not on that compersive wavelength, they might have a lot of internalized mononormativity. They might feel like, oh gosh, like... What I'm doing, what we're trying to do is wrong, you know, it's immoral, It's there's an element where they are not fully mentally on board, so it's important to to work with the mind and, and make a firm decision, like this is something I want to do, this is a path that I'm choosing, not just to stay with my partner, but actually to grow and to, you know, to enrich my own life. Um, number two is security within oneself it's things like you know how do you feel about your self-esteem your self-confidence self-care is also very important feeling like you are resourced and your own individual needs are met things like sleep food you know feeling good at work feeling good in your own social circle stuff like that that helps you feel more solid as an individual Then number three, there's security, connectedness, and trust within the relationship. And oftentimes people come to uh, to non-monogamy and they might have carried old stuff, you know, old sense of betrayal or old resentments. And it's important to try to clear some of that stuff out because it will come back to the surface when... There's, um, you know, new partners involved. So to feel like the relationship is in a good place and there's strong communication, strong relationship agreements and reassurance strategies is really um, 
really uh, important at that level. And then the number four is the relationship with metamorphs. So how do you feel about your partner's other partners? Do you feel threatened or do you feel really supported by them? Do you feel like they're contributing to the relationship or do you feel like they're taking away from your relationship? And then piggybacking on that, number five is the perception of benefits received, you know, from your other partner's relationships. So feeling like overall this is an enrichment to your life versus, you know, uh, something that's taking away from your plate. And then finally, there's the social factor, which is community. Like, do you feel like you are part of a supportive community of people who validate your identity as a non-monogamous person versus shaming you? That is perfect. It's great because uh, before in the pre-chat, you mentioned that you're you're currently uh, writing a book about compersion as well, mm -hmm. in addition to mm -hmm. kind of um, your thesis. Right. So you mentioned in, in one of those six things, kind of the, the way that your, your background can kind of influence how you feel compersion. And I'm really interested in that because often I've, I've, I've kind of been self-reflectively thinking, oh, you know, I've, I've, I have a really open um, approach to compersion. It's just something that comes quite naturally to me and when I speak to people who who it doesn't come quite naturally to I think you know why how did I get to this place where you know I had a, a very um, secure upbringing and and p potentially that plays into it but what are some of the factors that you think kind of contribute to a really positive approach to compersion and maybe kind of a lack of compersion well oftentimes people who have an easier time with consensual non-monogamy are people who have already adopted some other whether it's marginalized identities or a feeling of not just buying into every mainstream idea. So people who might already have kind of seen themselves as not necessarily like outsiders, but someone who walks to the beat of their own drum versus someone who has already, you know, always been very like, you know, walking the, the path of tradition so there's definitely a correlation between people who are less traditional, having an easier time with non-monogamy in general and adopting a mindset that is so countercultural. It's fascinating as well because um, we have a few friends who've who've come from quite a religious upbringing, um, and then the, they we, we found it really interesting kind of how they've moved into non-monogamy after potentially maybe leaving the church or changing their relationship to spirituality. Something that Abby and I talk a lot about is is kind of the way that um, your hormones, Abby, kind of affect your relationship to compersion. Yeah, I feel like my experience with compersion just varies so much all of the time, almost from a day-to-day, pre-coffee, post-coffee, hormonal, <laughs> not hormonal, you know, all of those things. And when you were reading out those list of, you know, the factors that can, you know, impact your compersion or, or to help to help grow it, you know, you know, sleep, you know, how I'm feeling about myself, my inner, you know, my inner security, but all of those things, that self-care and what I heard in those six points was, you know, a lot of that can come down to self-care as well. So it is, it's so interesting and sort of not, not trying to, I'm, I'm not trying to control, I'm, I'm in this delicate balance where I'm not trying to control um, Liam's um, interactions 
when he's, you know, with his other partner. But there is also that part of me where we do sort of look at the calendar, especially hormonally and, and taking the moment to be like, actually, you know, if this if if you could get together maybe just a few days later or on the weekend or something like that, you know, that's trying to sort of make it because, you know, we're going to try and make it as enjoyable as possible for everybody and not be having, you know, premenstrual um, triggering that can happen because I get very triggered when I'm premenstrual and something that I was that I would be very comfortable with a week later um, doesn't feel as possible for me in those moments. So, but then it's an interesting one. I feel quite conflicted because there's multiple people and multiple people can't be, um, ba- you know, having their life, you know, balancing around my hormones as well. So it's a funny one that we're trying to, um, you know, find the balance with. But, you know, luckily, you know, with your um, current partner, you know, she's she's a teammate. You know, I can share this with her. And and so it doesn't, you know, it feels it feels possible in that sense. In your research, did you track the influence of kind of hormonal shifts in how that correlated with compersion and whether there was, um, you know, was was kind of an ebb and flow? Oh, that's super interesting. Asking for a friend here. Uh, <laughs> well, I have not. That is totally an idea for a future study. Um, but I, uh, a lot of people told me that it does really much fluctuate depending on how they feel. And of course, hormones would be a part of that. But, you know, people did talk about sleep, food, having had a good day at work, feeling tired versus energized, and how all of these elements, you know, converge to this kind of gateway of like, okay, am I going to feel bad? Or am I going to feel good about this situation? And sometimes there's such a fine line. And I think even you know, you know, besides the idea of like, well, we want to put the chances on our side to feel good about the situation, just the realization that there is such a fine line between, you know, jealous feelings, compersive feelings is really powerful in itself to realize that our emotions are so malleable and so fluid and so dynamic. I think that's an empowering realization in and of itself. Do you think that that uh, kind of almost feeds in that that kind of balance, that delicate balance between between all those different kind of emotions? Do you think that uh, that kind of feeds into the eroticism of it in, in in a sexual context? Does that feed into that kind of the the kind of naughtiness and the eroticism and that kind of inner conflict, kind of fueling that fire? Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. Like there is a lot there about jealousy as a turn on and the arousal that these just like heightened emotions and heightened sensations that the presence of a third can can bring in you know a lot of people um have cuckold fantasies for example you know and it's not necessarily that they want to be fully polyamorous they just really want to feel that rush of turn on that comes when they feel like they're you know, access to their wives is threatened. And it's so interesting to look at the psychology of that and how, you know, like in in polyamorous relationships too, like we can kind of harness that heightened emotion and heightened sensation for just like a vibrancy uh, of sexuality and an alchemy of of jealousy into compersion. Super 
super fascinating. And, and it really mm. challenges that kind of like sense of mononormativity. You know, it feels like kind of, we, you, you often say, Abby, that it feels like we're, we're having an affair on society. Oh, yes. It did feel like that, you know, for a long time and still still does in many ways. And I really enjoy that. I like that, you know, it doesn't feel like we're having an affair on each other. It feels like we're, we're going against the grain and we're doing something that we shouldn't be doing. And, you know, it's like, you know, it's a little bit taboo. And, you know, of course, we want to break away the taboos and everything. But I like this idea of having some things that are like still taboo. And, you know, we're doing it our way and, you know, our, our own little secret. So, you know, playing on that a little bit is really fun, you know, leaning into, you know, the, you know, what would we say? A bit of the jealousy of it sometimes or a bit of the, um, you know, just doing that which we are not supposed to be doing, um, you know, can have a little, can give a little bit of a rush as well. Yeah. And the, and I feel like that, that rush and that sense of compersion for different situations, it also filters, obviously we're talking the sexual context there, but it also filters into kind of non-sexual context. And that kind of sense of compersion shows up in, in other ways. So ha- have you seen that within your research that, that uh, you know, this, this sense of compersion is not necessarily restrained to sexual compersion, but it also filters out into to different other relationship aspects? Well, I mean, even within the, you know, intimate realm, there's going to be an element of sexual compersion and also an element of emotional compersion when someone is romantically excited about somebody else and we feel happy with them and we feel this kind of emotional turn on. Um, and, and then there is the non-intimate or like, you know, outside of the romantic and sexual realms, there's oh my gosh, I'm so happy that you got a promotion at work or that you and your brother had a good meal together and a good conversation and that kind of, you know, just happiness for somebody else's joy in other areas. Do you think that it, uh, kind of uh, feeling that uh, that sense of compersion in other aspects of your life can kind of feed into um, feeling it within your relationships? Do you think that's almost like a kind of a backdoor entry into harnessing a sense of compersion? Mm, yes, yes. I think that to start becoming really conscious of where we can feel compersion more easily can help kind of exercise the grooves for it and make it more normal to experience it in the intimate context. Um, I think it's super helpful to do, to really pay attention, because I think most of us do experience a lot of compersion, like in those non-intimate life situations. And to really tune into that, to enhance that, to practice that more consciously can definitely bleed over. Like It's like we're creating those circuits and our brain for it and we're able to apply it in situations where it's not as natural or not as easy. Mm. Do, do you think different cultures kind of have different uh, associations with compersion? I know in your, I think in your PhD, you talked a little bit about uh, Buddhism and I think the, is it the, the concept of medita? Is that correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Could you speak a little bit to that? I'd, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, in Buddhism, mudita in Sanskrit means compersion. It means sympathetic joy. And it's considered one of the four qualities of the enlightened person, along with compassion, equanimity, and loving kindness. And so mudita is said to remedy the illusion of separateness between ourselves and other people. 
And in that way, you know, like help us realize that we're all one and that we don't live in a zero sum world. We live in a world where, you know, more for you is more for me. It doesn't mean less for me. And that as a kind of foundational spiritual truth can also help us really realize that, you know, jealousy and possessiveness and territoriality is just really one aspect of what our brain is training us to do. It's not all that's possible. Well, I have a question to to pose to both of you because, and you you touched on this with with your um, the the way that kind of writing has kind of opened up your own relationship to to these types of concepts. Marie, when you were when you were doing the PhD, did you find kind of concentrating so much on this area of compersion, which is such a dense kind of area and and also one that's not really been been explored that much in terms of an academic context? But did you feel that it kind of opened up the floodgates of your own personal relationship? To, to all these concepts? Mm, definitely. Yeah, there's no research that's just, you know, an objective look at the topic. I mean, at least in psychology, it's uh, usually something that brings up a lot of personal stuff and a lot of personal growth. And it was so wonderful to be in interviews with all of the participants that I interviewed for this research because I feel like I could live vicariously through them, but also illuminate certain parts of my experiences that I hadn't really identified or talked about. And it definitely was um, making me feel that there was so much more possible for myself because a lot of the folks I interviewed had been non-monogamous for 20, 30 years. There were folks in their 70s and 80s that had been monogamous for most of their adult lives and had really crossed major lines when it comes to, you know, disarming their own jealous programming and their own conditioning around monogamy. And it gave me so much hope for myself and for the future of the planet. It just really ignited a lot of joy, a lot of hope, a lot of sense of possibility for myself and others. So you you, you talked to a lot, of, you mentioned kind of this broad range of different people that you, you spoke to. And, and one of the one of the misconceptions about non-monogamy, I feel like, is, is that it doesn't feed into the possibility of a long-term relationship. So did you talk to people as well who'd been in these these long-term non-monogamous relationships and, and had this experience kind of interacting with compersion and all these different feelings. Did you talk to, to, to the broad spectrum of, of ages there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There were folks from, you know, their mid-20s to their mid-80s and, um, and people who came from different backgrounds as well. Some people had been raised in hippie communes and for them non-monogamy and compersion was not really something that they had to you know work themselves into from a traditional background but there were some folks who came from a very traditional upbringing and maybe were monogamous for 30 years with their mate before they decided to open up so it was a very vast um, array of experiences and if, you know, listeners want to read more directly about this, you know, in my dissertation, which is available for free online, there's actually the transcripts of all of these interviews with people, which I think is 
so juicy to hear folks describe their compersion experiences in their own words and how they came to it. And yeah, for some people, it was just a very improbable situation, but they completely, you know, went on a journey and, and discovered that they could experience a life they could have never Im imagined before. Wow. And very interesting about, you know, people's, you know, their different upbringings, you know, the families that they were raised in, you know, their family of origin or, you know, the hippie commune, you know, and the mindsets that would come from that. You know, we, we think about that, you know, we're parents and we, you know, we have our son and I feel like compersion is something that we, we will absolutely talk with him about, you know, as he gets older and he's learning about love and connection and relationships. That's something that we really want to share with him. Um, you know, this possibility of an unabundant love and, you know, sort of deprogram, you know, and we want to sort of, you know, we want him to, you know, we would love for him to veer away from, you know, this, these ideas of possession and um, ownership, you know, over a partner and, and having a more open-hearted, um, compersive experience in whatever relationship structure that would look like for him, you know, whether it be monogamous and, you know, or, or whatnot, but it's something that, that we, we really think about and talk about. I've, I've got one a burning question in, through that <laughs> process. Was there any kind of interviews that just really surprised you? Was there a moment where you're like, wow, that is totally wild, like hearing these stories? Because it's an amazing thing for you to be able to come from this, this really, uh, you know, um, kind of academic kind of approach, but then to be sitting across from people sharing these really personal and intimate stories um, in that context. Was there anything that kind of really just surprised you? Yeah, like the variety of ways that people describe their jealousy experiences and how they dealt with it. And I think one of the most touching moments was when I interviewed an 83-year-old participant who told me why he decided to become non-monogamous and explore compersion. Um, and that was from a major jealousy episode that he had experienced when he was, I think, in his 20s or 30s, where he had you know, thrown a tantrum at his girlfriend because she had been with somebody else. And, you know, they were in agreement, but he had just had this jealous rage episode. And and he said, you know, she really chewed me up for it. And she made me see how ridiculous I was being. And it made me realize in that moment that, oh, my God, like, this is not the person I want to be. Like, he was overwhelmed with with shame, but in a way like a positive kind of shame that made him feel like I cannot live the rest of my life this way, feeling entitled to control other people because of this really um, deprived part of me. And that set him on a journey of learning about self-love and learning about the places in him that were triggered, you know, by non-monogamy and to really, really do the work. and. That touched me because it felt like such a radical decision. Like there was no beating around the bush. It was just like, this is not who I want to be anymore. And the mm. power of such a decision to just then create a different life. And at 83, he was saying, wow, me and my wife have been together non-monogamously for 35 years. We have the best life ever. We have a community of lovers and friends. And I could not imagine a happier life. Wow. 
That's the holy grail right there. That's beautiful. How beautiful. <laughs> that's, that's really amazing. What would be fantastic for, for anyone, um, anyone listening who'd like to find out more about your work, and I know you do a lot um, of coaching as well. Um, so for anyone who would love to, to kind of reach out to you, what's the best way for, for people to reach out to you? Yeah. So just go to whatiscompersion.com. And you will find, you know, a link to my dissertation, you'll find blogs, you'll find a whole list of resources about compersion, and you'll find a page that describes my coaching offerings. And I have a free 30-minute introductory session offering for anyone who's just curious and interested about me and wanting to explore if coaching might be right for them. So I do coaching for individuals and couples or throuples for that matter or you know uh different relationship configurations um so yeah i'm excited to connect with folks um in australia and beyond oh gosh absolutely we are so excited to share this podcast with everybody dr marie tuan thank you so much for coming on our podcast it's been an absolute pleasure to have this conversation we are filled with gratitude we look forward to following more of your work and um, sharing all of your insights on Instagram as well and um, staying in touch. And if you are ever in Australia, we would absolutely love to connect, um, which would be wonderful. And we, our hearts are bursting. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm looking forward Thank to reading so the book much. as well. I can't wait for that to be, oh, yes. to, for that to be released. That's exciting. Do you have a, mm-hmm. do you have a release date in mind? Mm-hmm. I'm working with a publisher right now, so it's probably going to be at least a year and a half from now. So I'm thinking 2024 is my hope. These things always take a lot of time and, you know, editorial rounds and whatnot, but it's it's going to be worth it. <laughs> It'll be the new Bible. It'll be amazing. Exactly. Oh, can't wait. Thank you so much, Marie. And uh, it's been wonderful chatting. Thank you so much to you too. Much love. Well, that was an unbelievable conversation with an absolute legend. She is an absolute legend. I feel so fortunate that we've been able to have her join us in this amazing conversation. Yeah, and I, I really encourage people to, to check out all of her work and, and go and look her up. And she's she's done many amazing things and I'm excited to see what she does in the future. Me too. Can't wait for the book. Yeah. And speaking of things, uh, we have launched our Patreon, uh, which is a really exciting uh, new venture for us. We have, and we would love it if you would like to support us there. If you've been enjoying what we're putting out there with the podcast and on my Instagram page, Uh, for those of you who subscribe to our Patreon, we've got some fun treats for you, such as um, exclusive conversation webinars, um, exclusive long-form writing, erotic stories, and also access to our kind of expanding treasure trove of erotic art um, which we do love creating and we have loved creating for a long time so we we're do. kind of we're kind of uh, going back and and uh, scouring some of the archives and and releasing some of the never before seen photos i know it's very exciting and we're so um you know inspired to create more and more and more which we've been doing as well we are indeed so uh we'd love uh, if you are able to 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 support us on our journey in this space um through our patreon and we hope to connect with you over on there until next time 